We open the Holy Scriptures to Psalm 96. Let us hear the word of God. Psalm 96. O sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord. Bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen. His wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The Lord, the world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and, all, and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. For he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness, and the people with his truth. On the basis of this psalm and the entire scriptures, we have Lord's Day 47 of the Heidelberg Catechism, to which we now turn, which we now consider. Explaining to us the meaning of the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. Question 122 asks, which is the first petition? Hallowed be thy name. That is, grant us first rightly to know thee and to sanctify, glorify, and praise thee in all thy works in which thy power, wisdom, goodness, justice, mercy, and truth are clearly displayed. And further also that we may so order and direct our whole lives, our thoughts, words, and actions, that thy name may never be blasphemed, but rather honored and praised on our account. As our perfect teacher of prayer puts before us the very first petition of the model prayer, we're reminded by our Lord, first things first, hallowed be thy name. In different words, all glory be to God. It's where the model prayer starts. Because that's the most important thing in all of life. 
That's the most important part of our communion with God. First things first. This is mirrored in the Ten Commandments, which we've finished considering. You recall the first commandment, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's where God's revealed will for your life and mine begins. First things first, I am God, and I alone shall be the God that you worship, and there shall be no other beside me, in addition to me, or in place of me. God is God first, above all, before all. And that same principle is here expressed in the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer mirrors the Ten Commandments in that it begins with first things first, God and His glory. And this underscores for us what we saw in Lord's Day 45, that prayer in and of itself is the chief part of thankfulness. It's the chief expression of Christian gratitude to God for who He is to me as the God of my salvation, and what he has done for me as the God of my creation and redemption through Jesus Christ. Prayer's chief preoccupation is glorifying God's name. That's thing number one. And so we come to the first petition. We come to the first things which must be kept first in our prayers and in our lives. And that first petition is made up of the simple words, Hallowed be thy name. Those are the words that we're going to unpack in the sermon this morning. Now before we get to that exposition, let's briefly remind ourselves of the basic meaning of those words. Each time we go through the catechism, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this because we hear it time and time again. But it's good to be reminded. What is God's name? God's name is the revelation of himself. God has given himself names in the scripture. And those names aren't just labels for God to distinguish him from other gods because there is no other gods. No other true gods. He is the one only true and living God. But his name is the revelation of himself. God's name stands for all that he is. And so when you say, as Psalm 96 does, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. What the psalm is saying is give God the glory that he alone is worthy of. God's name is God. And in the first petition, Jesus teaches us to pray, Hallowed be thy name. That old word, hallowed, comes from a similar root and idea as our word holy. To hallow something is to set it apart as holy. That's what holiness really is. Holiness is separation from that which is bad and evil and consecration unto that which is good and right. To hallow something is to set it apart and to lift it up as that which deserves all praise. And so when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we're not praying that God's name be made holy, for it already is holy. He is the Holy One, as the Bible teaches us. He doesn't need us to make him holy. We can't. But when we say, hallowed be thy name, what we are praying is that God's name may be set apart from every other name. And that God's name may be lifted up and exalted above every other name. And that he might be seen as the one who is all-glorious and worthy of all glory, and that he might also work in our hearts to glorify him, as he alone deserves. First things first. The most important thing of the Christian's whole life is that I glorify God. 
That's what I'm made for. That's what I exist for. And in that, true happiness alone is found. Glorify God. So let's now enter into the first petition. Hallowed be thy name. In the praying of this petition, we are in the first place acknowledging God's glory. In the second place, we are desiring God's glory and expressing that desire as praise to the God of all glory. And finally, in the praying of this petition, we are resolving and asking for the grace to live for God's glory. We start with the most basic thing. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, what we are doing is simply acknowledging God's supreme and infinite glory. Acknowledging God for who he is and extolling him for who he is. God is the God of all glory. Now, when we talk about God's glory, we use that word, those words, God's glory, there are two related but distinct senses in which we speak about God's glory. And so, for clarity of thought, it's good to go through those two things. In the first place, when we speak of God's glory, we often mean the gloriousness of his divine nature. The gloriousness of who God is. God's glory is the shining forth of all of his adorable attributes. Some of which are mentioned in our Lord's Day. His wisdom, goodness, justice, mercy, and truth. Those are God's attributes. That's who God is in himself. And his glory is all of those things shining forth like a radiant light. God is supremely glorious within himself. This belongs to his very essence as the God of infinite perfection. Possessing those infinite perfections in infinite measure. And so when we speak of God's glory, on the one hand we are speaking about his very nature. Who he is as God. He is glorious. Gloriousness is who he is. And human language fails to fully and adequately describe that. Human words can't. So you go to the Bible and you find a description such as 1 John 1 verse 5, and here is where the Bible gets as close as it can in human words to describing the gloriousness of God when it simply says, God is light. Pure radiance. The shining forth of every perfection. God's glory. So that's the first sense when we speak of God's glory. But now the second sense when we speak of God's glory, we talk about the glory that we give unto God. Psalm 96 speaks of that in those familiar words that were our call to worship. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. And that raises the question, how can we possibly give glory to the God who possesses all gloriousness within his own divine being, who shines forth in the radiance of all of his perfections? How do you give glory to such a being? Well, that requires that we understand our giving glory to God doesn't mean we add to God glory. To God's glory. It doesn't mean we do something for him to make him shine brighter. That's impossible. God is infinite perfection. You can't add to him. You can't subtract from him. 
But when we speak of giving God glory, or glorifying God, what we mean is not augmenting His glory, but we mean we acknowledge Him for who He is. We see Him as the all-glorious one, and respond with praise. Glorifying God means praising Him for who He is and what He has done. It doesn't add to him, it doesn't make him shine brighter, but it is the way that he is pleased to honor himself. He has created us for his glory. He has created this whole world for his glory. Not because he needs this world to be glorious, not because he depends on you to make him shine with his glory, but because in his wonderful wisdom he is pleased to manifest his glory. And to honor himself in that way. And that's a beautiful thing. God is pleased to make you and me. And to redeem you and me. By the blood of Jesus Christ. So that we might consciously. And with spiritual awareness. See the glory of God. As he manifests it in his word and works. And from the heart with awe. And reverence and joy. Respond with praise. Acknowledging his glory. And thus ascribing to him glory. Rendering to him honor. Giving him the praise and the adoration that is his due. And that's what Psalm 96 is all about. Really, you can read through Psalm 96. And what you have here is one beautiful first petition. It is a psalm that extols God. That sees his gloriousness. Acknowledges him for who he is. And gives unto him the glory due unto his name. And the psalmist is not satisfied to do that all by himself. And so he calls God's people. He calls all of the creation. That's where the psalm ends. Summoning the entire created universe to give unto God the glory that is due unto his name. That's hallowing God's name at bottom. Yes, the first petition is a petition in which we ask for something, and we'll get to that. But embedded in this petition is the basic fact that when we pray, we are to acknowledge the gloriousness of God and ascribe to him the glory that is his due. That's what we were made for. That's why we have voices. They were made to sing unto the Lord a new song. To sing unto the Lord with all the earth. That's why we have our human minds which distinguish us from the brute creation. That's why we have our consciousness so that we might be the unique receptacles of God's glory. The ones who see it and understand it in a way no other creature can and thus respond in a way no other creature can. Song, praise, with worship. First things first, the glory of God. That's the first thing about this public assembly. We gather in this house of prayer. And in this house of prayer, the first thing is the first petition. That's the first thing of our public worship services. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name as his people. Redeemed by his grace. Know him. His loving kindness which is better than life. We come to hallow God's name. And we have so much material 
to spur us on to that hallowing of God's name, don't we? So much material that can point us to the gloriousness of God, help us see it and acknowledge it, and stir up our hearts to ascribe to Him the glory that is due unto His name. The Catechism emphasizes that when it speaks of all God's works. Hallowed be thy name, that is, grant us first rightly to know thee, and to sanctify, glorify, and praise thee in all thy works. And the basic idea of that phrase in the Catechism is that God's works are prompters. They prompt us to praise. To give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. As we look at God's works with the eyes of faith and see the hand of the worker in them. As we look at God's works with the eyes of faith and see the fingerprints of the all-glorious and beautiful God. Every one of God's works becomes a prompt to praise. Creation. Providence. How manifold are thy works. The psalmist says in Psalm 104. In wisdom thou hast fashioned them all. Every part of this created universe. Has the fingerprints of the all glorious God upon it. And something of the maker. Is fixed in that work of his hands. That's why a psalm. 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Day unto day, night unto night, they pour forth their speech, their wordless speech, that in its own unique way magnifies the glory of God. Every creature is a character in God's elegant book, as Belgic Confession Article 2 teaches us. And that article, the Belgic Confession, focuses on the fact that God reveals himself in the works of his hands, so that as we read the book of creation, we are led to contemplate the power and divinity of our God. But the book of creation is not only there to lead us to contemplate God, it is there so that as we read it, we are led to praise God. From the heart, hallowed be thy name. That's the greatest purpose of the creation. As so we've been enjoying the summer. Has the first petition come to mind? That's the Christian's first response to the beauty of the summer. Hallowed be thy name. As you've seen, the summer sun declares the glory of God. It shines forth God's glory and unto God's glory. And it does so unconsciously, doing what it was made to do. But you and me, God made us to see the light of the sun. To feel its warmth upon us. To go about under its light, doing the work of the day. So that we may give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. So that under the light of the sun and feeling its warmth, we might be led to say, Hallowed be thy name. When God sent that needed rain upon the dry and thirsty ground earlier this month, making the landscape greener again, the adorable attribute of God's goodness shined forth. And as we saw that rain, 
We say, hallowed be thy name. That's ultimately why it rained. The hallowing of the name of the father of the rains. With the eyes of faith open, let us look at all the workings of the world. See the hand of God. and Say, hallowed be thy name. That's giving unto God the glory due unto his name. That's creation and providence. But what about the manifold work of redemption? God's greatest work. Salvation. God's wonder work among his wonders. That the holy God redeems unholy sinners such as you and me. By the blood of his only begotten son. Who has been incarnated into our flesh. And who abides as one of us. As our Emmanuel. That this God is pleased to most highly glorify himself through our salvation. And it is that work of salvation in which God's power, wisdom, goodness, justice, mercy, truth are ever so clearly displayed. And not just in a general and impersonal way, but displayed to you. So that that beautiful radiance Of God's divine being shines upon you like the sun and sinks into your soul and warms you to the core. That's God's glory. That's God's glory that we see in his work of salvation. In which his glory glows the brightest. Think about that. What a wonder. The all-glorious God, whose glory cannot be added to or subtracted from, this glorious God in His wisdom glorifies us for His own glory. That's ultimately what salvation is. You think of the golden chain of redemption, and at the end of that chain is our final glorification where we share some of the glory of God as we live in His presence forevermore. That's where salvation leads us. Salvation can be thought of this way, the all-glorious God glorifying Himself by glorifying you and me. Graciously and mercifully, because we don't deserve it. What a wonder salvation is. Now having mentioned that last link in the glorious chain of redemption, let's back up to the start. And let's have our minds trace each of those golden links. That beautiful linkage of divine gifts and blessings. Starting all the way back in the eternal counsel of God, predestination. Not a cold, sterile doctrine. Predestination. This God of all glory in his eternal counsel, chose his people, determined of his own infinite goodness to set his love upon them, and then in the unfolding of his counsel to order their entire life to the end of their final glorification, and to exercise his almighty power so that nothing can ever break that chain from predestination to final glorification? What can you say? Except, hallowed be thy name. And then in time we're born. And at God's appointed time, we who were born flesh, 
by His Spirit, He causes to be born again of the Spirit. And He gives us the new life of Christ. So that we who are dead in trespasses and sins are now alive unto God in Christ. That life you have now, believer, does it lead you to say each day, Hallowed be thy name? That you don't wander in darkness, but abide in the marvelous light of the God of all glory because he has called you by the gospel. Does that lead you to say, Hallowed be thy name? That that calling of the gospel through the operation of the Holy Spirit has implanted in your heart true saving faith so that you are united to Christ. And out of that union with Christ flows certain knowledge and certain confidence so that you know God. Does that knowledge lead you to say, Hallowed be thy name? Faith, by means of which God justifies you. Declaring you righteous through the blood of his son. So that in his law court you stand as if you never had any sin. And as if you had fulfilled all righteousness. Because the righteous Christ's life of obedience is imputed to you. What is your response to that? Is it hallowed be thy name? And God doesn't stop there. We go down the golden chain to our sanctification. As we live in the midst of this world, the Holy Spirit of the living God, the glorifying Spirit, is put inside of our hearts so that He may work there, transforming us into His temple, transforming us from glory unto glory. Until at last, we reach that perfection proposed to us And are fully refashioned in the glorious image of the all-glorious God. Does sanctification lead you to say, hallowed be thy name? And does it lead you to want to hallow God's name more and more? And as he sanctifies us, he preserves us through all of the pitfalls, through all of the winds and the turns and the rough patches of life's pathway. He preserves us so that we persevere to that final day of final glorification. What can the believer say but hallowed be thy name and call his family, call his friends, call his fellow believers, call all of creation to give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. That's the basic idea embedded in the first petition. That's the most basic thing of the Christian life. That's why you're here. That's why you exist. To give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. An application before we move on. Let's think about that in terms of the end times, the last days. As the world gets darker, as troubles mount, as we see the signs of the times, the earthquakes and storms in divers' places, the wars and the rumors of wars, the economic uncertainty, the pestilences and pandemics, the growing ungodliness and apostasy, all of these things that shake up man's complacent world, all of these things that so easily frighten us, partly because we are such weak creatures who cannot stand before such powers, What's our response in the face of all of these things? 
nothing different than our response to all of those links in the chain of salvation and our response to the wonders of creation around us. Because these, two, these things too are under the sovereign control of God and are subservient to the realization of that golden chain of redemption. And so in the face of the signs of the times, in the face of all of those things, hallowed be thy name for these things too must give unto thee the glory. Indeed, Satan is tolerated to continue to exist because God in his wisdom makes him give glory to God. All things. And so let the Lord's Prayer and let the first petition be our confident prayer in the last days. Hallowed be thy name that comforts us. His name shall be hallowed. Not the world's, not man's, not antichrist's. His name shall be hallowed. In the first petition, we acknowledge God's glory. We ascribe to Him glory, the glory due unto His name. But as already mentioned, the first petition is a petition. And now we have to get to the petitionary part of the commandment. We, or of the prayer. We Ask for something. And in asking something, there is an expression of the desire of our hearts. And that's the next thing we want to observe about this first petition of the Lord's Prayer. First things first. The first petition is designed to direct and orient the desires of the human heart Toward that which is most important. The first petition is not just about the words that we speak. It's not just about worshipping God with the words of our mouths. That's crucially important. But those words come from somewhere. They come from a heart. And behind those words. There has to be a desire of the heart. For the thing that we speak. And the thing that we ask. To put it simply, when we pray the first petition, when we give unto God the glory due unto his name, our heart has to be in it. And that means we have to desire it. Our hearts must be transfixed with the glory of God such that it is the chief object of our desire and the chief thing in which we delight. Jesus teaches us to pray, Hallowed be thy name. Because this is of first importance, and because, my people, this is the thing you are to desire before and above all. This is the thing that should set your heart on fire. I want God glorified. I want Him glorified in all things. And I want to start with me. I want him glorified by me. And that's what I pray for. It's a prayer for grace. Grant me. Notice that language in the catechism. Grant us first rightly to know thee and to sanctify, glorify, and praise thee. There's an acknowledgement here that I can't do this of myself. Grant me the gift, Father. Grant me the grace. To desire above all things and to love above all things and delight above all things. Thy glory 
and that supreme among human activities, giving unto thee the glory that is due unto thy name. And so our master teacher of prayer, by setting this first petition before us, puts a question before us. What do you desire above all things? Just as the first commandment did, so too the Lord's petition, or the the first prayer, the first petition of the Lord's prayer does. It points out our sin. Points out our sin. It points out to us one of the great battlegrounds of the Christian life. And that battleground is the desires of my heart. We have a new heart. It's that wonderful gift of regeneration, the new life of Jesus Christ, there's a new man formed in us. And that new man is our identity. We're a new creature in Christ. Yet we have our old sinful flesh. And that old, totally depraved nature sticks with us till the day of our death. What that means is, even the good desires of the renewed heart get filtered through that sinful flesh and often get tainted, get put out of order, get misdirected. This is the battleground of the Christian life in our own heart and soul. The battleground of our own desires. What do we want most? What do we delight in most? And each and every one of us is brought by the Word of God to see our sin and say, Often it's not God or His glory. Covetousness. I want that so much, I won't be happy till I get it. And I'll be mad as long as I don't have it. And I'll be jealous of my neighbor who does have it. And I'll scheme and I'll plot. And I'll think about mischief on my bed because I don't have it and all of the rest... Because my desires are all out of order. It's not God's glory that I want most. But it's me. When God's glory is first and foremost, though it's hard on the flesh, the believer will say, God's glorified by withholding that from me right now. And so I will be content with his ways. Lust. That look and desire for something or someone that God has said no. That fire burns in the heart because in that moment, God's glory is not first. God's will is not my first concern. Mine is. In that covetous moment, in that lustful look, what we're really saying is, Hallowed be my name. That should help us understand sin. Temptation is very easy to fall into, to minimize sin and not see it for what it really is. Sin is saying, hallowed be my name. Me first. My glory first. What I want first. God second. Or somewhere farther down the line. First petition puts us back in our place and puts God back in his place. God's glory first. 
And Jesus teaches us, this is the start of your prayer. And this is what is to pervade the entire Christian life. Hallowed be thy name. All glory to God. Not unto us, O Lord, but unto thee be glory given. And that without any qualification. Here's where sin can be sneaky too. Sure, I'll say hallowed be thy name. As long as I can put a qualifier at the end, a but, an if, an and, an unless. Hallowed be God's name unless it requires this of me. Hallowed be God's name if he does this for me. Hallowed be God's name and my name in this area of my life. No. First petition is unqualified. Hallowed be thy name. Full stop. No ands, no ifs, no buts, no unless. Period. Period. That's to be the desire of the believer's heart. So we see our need for grace, don't we? Because this is diametrically opposed to our sinful nature. Our sinful nature. Favorite word of which is me, me, my glory. Sinful nature, which is always there and that we have to wrestle against. That sinful nature, which wants to hijack even the good works we do by the power of grace. So that that thought arises in our hearts as we do them. That I hope I catch this person's eye or I hope I'm seen of men. Hallowed be my name. We need grace. We need grace. And that's the wisdom of the catechism's language that it uses. Grant us. Grant us to glorify thee. I can't of myself. I won't of myself. I can't desire it first and foremost of myself. Give me that grace, Father. The grace I so desperately need. And the wonderful news of the gospel is that that grace is ours. Father gives that grace. He will not withhold that grace from his children. God commands and he gives what he commands. That grace is ours because Jesus Christ earned it for us. Will God deny Christ? Will God deny Christ who earned That strengthening grace for us? No. And so when we pray the first petition, we can pray it confidently. When we pray the first petition, we pray for the grace and the operation of the Holy Spirit to overcome our own sinfulness and weakness. The grace of God to bend our wills and desires sweetly towards His glory so that from the heart, sincerely, we may pray and live. Hallowed be thy name. And it's the wonder work of God's grace that He does that. And that's real in the lives of God's people. This petition shows us our sin. It does. But it also shows the wonder of what God works in his people. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Which he hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And God's people do. We feel that, don't we? Not minimizing our sin. But we feel the reality, don't we? That fire. That desire. That love. For God and his glory. And that his name be hallowed. Be encouraged. God gives that grace. And he'll never stop giving it. But now a couple of applications. Concerning the desire. 
for God's glory. First, first petition puts God's glory in its proper place as the all-controlling factor determining the Christian life. What should be the all-controlling factor that determines the choices I make, the decisions I make, the way I live, the things I do, where I live, who I hang out with, who I date, and who I marry, and how I live in marriage, and how I raise my children, and the kinds of things I sacrifice for, and on and on. What is the all-determining factor? What is your all-determining factor? Is it this, hallowed be my name? Or to word it differently, let it be as I desire? Or is the all-determining factor, hallowed be thy name, unto thee be the glory, so that in what I do, where I live, who I hang out with, who I date, who I marry, who I spend my time with, how I live in marriage, how I raise my children, in all of those things, my first concern, my chief desire is give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. That's the application. That's the calling. This is to be the all-controlling factor in your life and mine that governs our decisions and our choices. God's glory. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, short verse that very well can be the motto of the Christian life. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do All to the glory of God. That means in all of life, I'm asking this question continually. Because I'm really concerned with it. Will this honor God? Does this fit with his word? Does this please My God and Father, who purchased me to be his son or daughter with the blood of his only begotten Son, does this express gratitude to him or will this dishonor him? Will this move him to second place in my life? That is the question we must always be facing in everything we do. That's the all-controlling factor. I want to glorify God. And I will do. Only that which honors him. Second application. The first petition teaches us one of the keys to the Christian's growth in grace in this life. And one of the most important things for our battle against sin. Desiring God's glory. What is going to drive a person forward in the pursuit of holiness? Not self-interest. Self-interest is continually going to be something that drags us backwards. What's going to drive you forward in the Christian life and make you want to grow in grace? It's this. Desiring to glorify God. When this is at the center of your life, when this is your fiery desire that infuses every part of life with purpose, there is where growth and holiness will take place. When the desire for God's glory is at the center. 
When are you going to have strength to fight against sin? When are you really going to want to cut that besetting sin out of your life? When you really desire to glorify God. Self-preservation isn't going to do it. There's a place for that. Sin brings misery. And that's part of the warning that should be issued when we walk in sin and foolishly refuse to put it out of our lives. We will reap what we sow. But that alone is not going to get us to turn. The engine, the engine of change in the believer's life is this. Desire for God's glory. Nothing motivates and moves a believer like desire for God's glory. Without desiring to glorify God, outward efforts at changing our lives are going to be fruitless. We must have the most important thing front and center, God's glory. And so, there's a very important application that comes to us if we're struggling with sin in our lives right now, if we're stuck in a sin, if we're in a spiritual slump, if our marriage is in trouble because of sins and patterns of sin that have been ongoing, if we're stuck in something like pornography, this is crucial. Desire the glory of God. That's the chief end of man. Seeing who he is. Seeing what he's done for you. And now the purpose of your existence is to honor him and to thank him and to give unto him the glory due unto his name. When that's the fiery desire of your heart, only then will you have a fiery hatred of sin. If God's glory is not first in your life, sin is your God. You will love your sin more than you love God. Let the gospel come. Let the gospel be before your eyes and heart. See God. See his Christ. See what he's done for his believing people. And let, by the power of that spirit, let the gospel kindle that fervent desire for the glory of God. And that will be the engine of change in your life. And so we come to living for God's glory. That's what the first petition broadens out to. It's not just about our words. It's about our hearts. It's not just about our inward life. It's about all of our life. First things first. The first thing in prayer is hallowed be thy name. But as we've seen, the entire Christian life is a life of prayer without ceasing. The Christian life is an unending doxology to God. And that means your entire life is a first petition. The first petition ought to be your life. Your life. Hallowed be thy name. And we pray that. We pray for God to give us the grace to live that kind of life. To be a doxology. Doxologies, children, aren't just the short songs we begin the service and end the service with. Doxology is your life. You're not just to sing a doxology. You're to be a doxology. Doxology means word of glory. That's what that word means. A word, a song of glory. Ascribing glory to God. That's life. That's the believer's life. Being a doxology. 
And the first petition is, Lord, give me the grace to be a doxology because I can't of myself. I want to be a doxology to myself. Give me the grace to be a doxology for thee so that everywhere my feet take me and everything my hands do and everywhere my eyes look and everything my brain thinks about, all that I am, I owe to thee. And all that I am, I give unto thee, that I may give unto thee the glory that is due unto thy name, that I may be a doxology of thanks. God made us in his image in the beginning. That image was lost in the fall. The work of Jesus Christ has restored that image to us. And part of the basic idea of the image of God is that we're reflectors. You know what a reflector is. It's like a mirror. When light shines on that reflector, the light beams back. It's reflected. God is light. God is all glorious. He shines forth in all of his glorious attributes. And those attributes and that glory glow in all of the works of his hands. And now we are to be his reflectors wherever we go in this world. So that the beaming light of God bounces off of us, shines through us, so that in the midst of this darkness, we glow with the glory of God, unto the glory of God. Isaiah 43 verse 21 says, This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. I formed you for this, God says. I redeemed you for this, that you may show forth my praise. I made you to be a vessel of my mercy, so that I might fill you to the brim with my mercy. But now as a vessel of my mercy, you need to overflow. And you overflow with my praise. Is that the kind of life we're living? A vessel of God's mercy? That's constantly overflowing with God's praise? Is that our conduct? Let it be. Let it not be, as the Catechism says near the end of the Lord's Day, that God's name is actually blasphemed, spoken evil of, on account of the way we carry ourselves and the way we live in this world. It's a danger for Christians. It's a danger for us. Pride. Good Christians, got our doctrine straight. We can cut ourselves a little slack here in the Christian life in this area or that area. The world sees that. Let us not be the occasion for others to speak evil of our God. But let us always be a doxology. Glow with the beauty and glory of God as a reflector of his glory. The words we speak, things we do places we go. Hallowed be thy name. That grace is ours through Jesus Christ. Let us live out of that grace. Acknowledging the glorious God, ascribing to him glory, desiring that glory with all our hearts, and living for his glory. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, hallowed be thy name. And may thy name be hallowed in and through us. Word, 
thought, heart, life, everything. Instruct us by thy word, as thou hast shown us our sins, pardon us, and give us the grace to overcome them. Kindle anew in our hearts that fiery desire for thy glory, a desire unquenchable, desire that moves us day by day to be a doxology. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.